push it to the limits. Yeah! Walk along the razor's edge, but don't look down, just keep your head, or you'll be finished! Yeah! Did we, did we just time warp into the 80s? Yeah, we did. Scarface, baby. I having visions of you wearing really tight spandex. Oh, man. It's like I am... purple and black. And it's <laughs> I'm also working purple. up a sweat just thinking about it. Wow. I, I feel... <laughs> so, anyways... I, I feel like this itch for G.I. Joe right now. <laughs> well, I'm Peter Rizzo, and... I'm Sebastian Ankiel. Welcome to Men's Junk. Welcome to Men's Junk, guys. Today, we got a fun one. I... Oh, you're not going to go over the little spiel, but... Yeah. The witch spiel. The spiel. The spiel? The spiel. Oh, did you want me? Oh, it's too late now. Oh, We're moving there on. There we go. We're moving, moving on. Moving on. <laughs> We're doing we a lot. So anyways, I, as I said, I'm your host, Vita Riz, and we have a very special episode today. Today, we're going to start learning about each other. Yes. Yes. And the lie detector is on. And oh, yes. We can see what parts that we are embellishing the boy. most. You're going to figure out all of my lies. Mm -hmm. I like what you're wearing, boy. Mm, don't you tell nobody. It's like Memento. Just, you got to read that message on your arm. Don't believe it's oh, lies. such a great movie. It was so good. Memento was amazing. Yeah, you have to watch it twice. Forward and backward, literally. No, you, you watch it once, and yes. then you wait a week, watch it again, and you're like, oh. I had this special edition. You could actually watch it in reverse. Oh, that's so awesome. <laughs> it was like really cool. I was like, whoa. It we're made so much more sense. The movie got way worse. <laughs> FYI, everyone, uh, we're changing this from men's junk to uh, two guys talk about pop culture. Memento <laughs> junk. Memento junk. Pop culture junk. So anyways, <laughs> in this episode, we're going to be interviewing, or I'm going to be interviewing, Sebastian. Oh. And we're going to learn everything about Sebastian. That we get a better idea of who we are, what we are, where we're going, where we came from. I thought we were going to talk about Michael Jackson. Uh, I don't want to talk about Michael Jackson anymore. Okay. Oh boy, you really had a throat in that mic. You know how I feel about Michael Jackson. We'll leave it at that, folks. Yes. <laughs> so today, I sang the intro, so I will be doing the interviewing, and oh that's boy. the song I picked that I think best suits you, Sebastian. Oh, you push really? it to the limit. Yeah. 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 You walk along a razor's edge. Bird. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so why don't we just jump right into it? Yeah. Sure. We're doing this for the purpose of our viewers to learn about where we're coming from. Mm -hmm. And where we came from is from our parents' genitalia. What? Yes. No. Yes. What? Yes. What? No. You? No. Yes. No, there's a stork. Mm. And the bag. Oh, boy, Sebastian. No? I got a surprise for you. <laughs> I'm, See, I'm, when a mommy and daddy when they cuddle? get to get, yes, when, when they cuddle, when, when they wrestle in bed. Oh, they, yeah, that's what that was. Now yeah. it all makes sense. Yeah, macho man gives a flying elbow. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Um, right into the parents' bed, your parents wrestle. No, no, that one time, like, my dad was sitting there and he's like, I'm, I'm just pinning your mom. Okay, well, this is a great start. <laughs> this is great. Good stuff. So anyways, Sebastian, uh, we've alluded to a lot about your parents, but I really love to know, your viewers sure. would like to know, how did your parents meet? 
Like, what are your... Oh, oh my God. Uh, as far as I know, from what I've heard, and it's limited information, because they don't really talk about that very much, uh, they basically, they're from different towns that actually surround one of the major cities in Poland. So I believe they probably met, like, in that city. Uh, but apparently, apparently, at one point, my mother actually wasn't into my dad. And at some point, my dad had to, like, woo her over. And it was like pretty. Uh, apparently, it was a pretty big, uh, pretty big battle. Uh, do you have your phone on? Oh my god! Terrible pod. It was an alarm. <laughs> Forty lashes, good sir. Anyway, so yeah, they, apparently my dad had to like woo my mom because at some point she was being a little bit resistant to his advances, and apparently he won out. So yeah, they met in Poland. Do you know what he did to kind of woo your mom? Or was it just? <sighs> A, a grand gesture or like did he kind of grind i think he grinded from my understanding he grinded so because your dad and what we've alluded to in the episodes is your dad doesn't know the word quit or no yeah that's true so i think i think it made it more alluring like he probably thought it was like a challenge so he had to try harder mm-hmm. but like a lot of those a lot of those details just don't really get like aside from that one, a lot of details don't really get talked about very much. They do talk about my dad had an interesting career in Poland, but do I, you do you want to? I I don't know if I can really get into it, but all you would say is that they were Italian everything, Italian everything. Yeah. Would you say that uh, he he really loved uh, obeying the laws to the fullest extent, or? Oh, he, he wasn't much of a fan of authority growing up. He didn't like to work. Hmm. You can hmm. use your imagination. Yes. And so what, he's got a lot of crazy stories, actually. A lot of crazy stories. What about your mom? What was your mom like? In My mom was in nursing school. Oh. Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting because she's never really changed with her passion towards helping other people. Like, that's been kind of like a mainstay for her. Whether it's, you know, you know, obviously when she came here, she wasn't a nurse, so... You know, she would work in. Uh, she ended up working in child care, child care, and then after a while, we had I had a foster brother, and and you know we adopted, and so she she hasn't really changed. She loves to take care of people. That's that's her jam, and she so she wasn't a nurse here, but she's still doing the same thing she was doing when she was at home. And and somehow, they came together. Your dad just, <laughs> yeah, like a like a smith, just ground her down. <laughs> You know, it, I I sometimes wonder like if it was really like that. Seriously, hmm. because I, I mean, my dad when he doesn't get what he wants, like he can be a very determined individual. So I I wonder. I really wonder. That's interesting. So when did your parents? Uh, were you born here in Canada? Or? I was actually born in Austria. So Ooh. my parents uh, went into a refugee camp in Austria, which apparently was like really bad it was just a horrible place back then i guess there was a lot of racism so you know it's funny it's, it's not unlike now there was refugees and refugees now are still treated a lot of the same way they were treated like they weren't even human so one of the things they told me once is that in their hotel where they stayed they had no hot water oh. like it was just a horrible time it was just horrible like they they, they basically the the people that took in refugees made it like into a business. It wasn't really about 
taking care of people or feeding them properly or any of that stuff. So where have I heard that before? Yeah. It's just ongoing, right? There, so. there is no such thing as like a four-star resort refugee camp. No, no. Oh, shoot! <laughs> refugee camp, you can almost guarantee it's uh, you're not living on the hog. No, you're not going to be having a good time. Let's put so, it that way. So, at what age did you actually uh, immigrate to Canada? Well, I was one, and oh. so my I was one year one year old. My brother was on the way, and my parents had. When they came to Canada, they only had $80 in a suitcase. So they had nothing, and they also had no English. So kind of like a lot of people in Canada now. I mean, a lot of people in Canada are immigrants, and so they too had the trappings of being an immigrant in a foreign country with no English, which is probably even a step harder than a lot of the immigrants coming to Canada now because English is just... It feels like it's more readily available to everyone. Back then, that was 1983, so a different time. And also, they came from a communist country, so naturally, access to getting te- getting taught English was not really that accessible in a communist country that was just like anti-everything North America. In fact, I think, oh, I'm trying to think. There was a really, really bad, there was some kind of bad, really, really bad country, country-style Western that they used to watch. And it was just super corny, but for them it was like the coolest thing because like communist countries were just <laughs> That's right, comrade. Like it was just it was just like the Wild West. North America was just this crazy place to them. Because in communist country, I mean, in order to get a candy from a store, you actually had to have a coupon. Mm-hmm. Like you couldn't just like go in there with your money and be, and say, you know, hey, I really want this candy. No, it was it was did you do have a voucher for that? So the idea of the West was super appealing because this was obviously like the land of the free. And so they made their way. And with the combined with your dad's free spirited approach to life. Yeah. And, and that, that was kind of the interesting thing, like, you know, is when he came here, he had no English and he had to make do. And I mean, if you can't speak a language, you're basically forced to really for lack of a better term, like work your ass off. So he did. So what did he do when he when he got over here? Um, he worked at he worked at a butcher for a while, and that was horrible work. I just remember it was horrible work. I don't know how old. Uh, oh, I was like two to five at this point. Like I was very okay. young. I just remember vaguely that he worked at a butcher shop, and then he got a big break and started working at. A fishing boat and that was a really really big deal when he started working on the fishing boat and I remember him telling the story about his first check and he said that when he received it he literally he actually thought they made a mistake <laughs> and because he, there was an extra zero on the check it was like 11 grand or something because it was like a fishing trip so he worked for like three months and yeah. he thought it actually had an extra zero that wasn't supposed to be there Wow, and and the way he described it is, he he describes it as grabbing the feet of God, <laughs> because for grabbing once the they, feet could, of God. yeah, it was almost as if you know things were they were capable of doing just so much more because they were always hamstrung by the financial situation of just being a poor family with two kids. And did your mom continue nursing when she got over here? My mom just took of... care of the kids, like she just took care of me and my brother. So for the first. 
I see. I don't know exactly what day my dad started working on the fishing boat, but for the first, let's say, ten years, basically, my dad would work on the boat, and my mom would take care of us. She'd do it alone, and then my dad would come home after his big fishing trips, and I don't even recall. It was very, very rare to see my dad actually not on the couch. Because the fishing trips were so exhausting that he literally would just be passed out and he'd just be sleeping for, for, for you know, a week or two at a time. It was crazy. Uh, so there was no time to kind of play catch no, in the backyard? No, barely. Like, I, I remember a few times we'd, like, kick the football around, but it wasn't very often. Yeah. And so it was, it was weird because my dad was kind of this – he wasn't – when he came home, he was never really – a father to me if that makes sense he didn't really do a lot of the parenting that was left to my mother and so when he came when he actually finally you know destroyed his body and went on workers comp and then you know here here i am i'm 12 years old and he's miserable because he's not working you know we ran into a lot of trouble oh i, I could only imagine so going to you you know that those younger years, five, mm -hmm. you know, to eight and whatnot, like, um, you had immigrated parents, you started, you know, luckily, well, not luckily, you came here at an early age where you're still learning the language, so you probably yeah. picked up English pretty well. Yep. And went to school. So oh, school. How was, how was uh, Sebastian in school for those early years? Oh, it sucked. It was horrible. I, I, how do you oh. say that? In in the first year, I had I made a bunch of friends, but yeah, I don't know where it's shifted. Somewhere around like grade one or grade two. No, grade two. It was grade two. Everything was pretty copacetic till grade two. And then someone realized, like one of my close friends at the time, oh my God, I don't even want to name his name because it just, I don't want to like, but it was so sad. I mean, I was two, and it was this Pearl Jam song that was, like, really popular. That one um, where he's like, don't call me dummy. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, daughter. Yeah. Daughter. Yeah, don't call, that's a good song. That's, that's the lyric I said. I said, don't call me dummy and instead of daughter. Oh. And this kid just decided that, like, that means I'm not cool. And I only had between 20 and 25 people in my class. So when this person decided that I was not cool, not only did I lose his friendship, but I lost so many other kids' friendships as well. I also stood up for a kid, I believe it was in grade four, who maybe I shouldn't have stood up for, and and then that really backfired on me. So why did it backfire on you? Um, because I felt partly that the kids were right. Does that make sense? You know, the, well, what do you mean by right? Right that they were bullying the kid? They were bullying the kid, but what happened was what the kid was doing was wrong. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that the response and the way that they were treating him was just out of proportion with what happened. And in retrospect, it just alienated me more from the class. And he wasn't even like a friend of mine. So. It's almost as if I stood up for someone who is a stranger and the response was that I would just be alienated more. 
because I couldn't really become friends with them, even though I tried. I mean, we tried, but... You tried to do what was right in your mind. Yeah, because... The, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I don't, he did something really weird with the girls. I'm not exactly sure what it was. It was like a little bit creepy or pervy, I guess. And I just thought that like the fact that like the whole class turned on him, it just really reminded me of my own pain that I had when I was in grade two. And I just wanted to stick up for him because I felt like it was symbolic of what I had went through, you know, and the tricky part about that was that it just made it worse for me. Because we never really became friends, and if you're if you're too outcast in your class and you can't become friends, then you're just very lonely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, it was tough. So, did you have any friends during those those early years, oh, elementary man. school? Okay, this is gonna sound super awkward. I had friends, but they weren't always friends with me in school. Oh. It felt like I could see them outside of school. Yeah, but oftentimes it didn't really feel. I didn't feel comfortable, I guess. I, I just felt very alone at school a lot of the time. Like, I remember one time I was, I think it was grade six. And here's the thing, you know, I'm a bit, I'm a, I'm kind of a, I'm an empath, okay? So I see everyone and how they're feeling all the time. And my class, we had a sub in the beginning part of the year. Or no, the year before we had a sub. Oh, my God. We called her Airhead because her, her name was Miss Air, literally Miss Air, and she didn't. She let our class go insane. Hmm. You know, no, no boundaries, no restrictions, no rules. Everyone just did what they wanted. And then I had this other teacher called named Mister Robbins, and this poor guy, like he cared so much, and all these kids literally. Just shit on him. I mean, to give you an idea of the level that our class took it to, we he had a nervous breakdown the year after he taught my, our class. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so and Terrible and so kids. so me, you know, in grade six, I remember really vividly that like I wanted to be a teacher's pet because I just saw that we were just like destroying this teacher. It was horrible. And I, I remember really vividly one time there's a few memories I have that were pretty painful from my, you know, my elementary school years. Um, you know, and they, and they seem really innocent when you hear it. One time, this is probably like early elementary. I remember I walked over like, we, had, you know, when you have 25 people in your class, a group of 12 people is like half the class. And I walked over to this big group in the grass and this one kid looks at me and he goes, oh, Seb farted. And then everyone ran away from me. And then I came up to them again. And then they ran away again. It became like a game. Like they just run away from me. And next thing you know, I was just sitting in the grass crying. Because I felt like I had no friends. And I also had another situation. I remember this is actually, you know, from grade six. was why I was talking about Mr. Robbins. Is this kid like pulled a chair out from underneath me. And then like everyone laughed at me. And it was just, it was just so humiliating. I had a lot of humiliating moments in elementary school we also had to wear uniforms and when you're a fat kid you got to wear a uniform you got to have a belt and you got to have a dress shirt and freaking hell like you know your flab is just hanging over your belt so then you like try pulling up shirt it's just so awkward and like a lot of the times in a lot of the classes i remember like the the, my best friend in the class was my was the teacher you know and 
I mean, God bless them, I guess, for being good teachers. I mean, having somebody I can connect with on any level, but it just made it really, I, I guess I had a hard time trusting kids because, oh, one other thing. I also, I had one really good friend in elementary and then he left. He left. Like he, the, the we planet? Like, like, no, like, like they moved. I am the kind of person that I gravitate to. I like to have small, you know, I'd rather have one really good friend yes. than have 10 kind of so-so friends. And I had this friend, you know, we traded hockey cards, we did all this really cool stuff. And then he moved to another school and, and it just, it was like my best friend. And so for me, you know, this is like after the whole grade two thing, after me screwing up the Pearl Jam lyrics and here's my best friend. Now he's gone. And so I just had nobody left. Hmm. And so it just got really awkward because, you know, most people in elementary, once they find a best friend, that's their best friend. You're not going to like jump in there and snatch up someone's best friend if that makes sense yeah that makes perfect sense yeah so you have kind of just school ain't doing that great no how was your home this is the interesting part this is it is a contrast so i was a big kid and i also was really determined not to be bullied and we lived in this cul-de-sac in langley which is in bc by vancouver it's about an hour away it's a suburb and for some reason, I guess because we played lots of sports, I was the cool kid in my cul-de-sac. I was one of the oldest. I was one of the biggest. And I actually had, you know, for a kid, I had clout in my group, in my play group. So I had a lot of, I guess, pull. And, and, and you know, being who I was, it was really interesting because whenever we picked on someone, I was like this wrecking ball, like, you know, the, you know, like those construction wrecking balls. When I saw that we were like going after someone too much, I'd shift it onto somebody else. And everyone would go with me because I was like the leader of the pack. Oh, so I'd make sure that like the kid who got bullied, like for too long, I, I would deflect it onto somebody else so that they're not the only ones that have to deal with it. Equal opportunity bullying. Yes, because it's going to happen. I also... I also had like a lot of crazy, funny Murphy's Law stories from that era. Yeah, what's a uh, what's one that kind of sticks out of your mind? Um, okay. <laughs> oh my god! First, first one that comes. Oh, to mind. it's it's so brutal. I had a paper route, and so I do the papers. And this is around like when I was uh, ten or eleven, and we had a trampoline in the back. The trampoline also. I'm telling you, like when you're a kid and you have the trampoline, that gives you status, okay? Like trampoline oh, gives yeah. you status. Like you have a fucking trampoline, okay? <laughs> yeah. Like I got a trampoline. You know, and by the way, that thing makes excellent forts, for snow forts in the winter. Oh, yeah. Because you like build, it was amazing. Anyway, so we have this trampoline and there's these kids and there's like a hydro path behind us and there's a fence and then blackberry bushes in between. And these kids were walking on this path, and there's no way they could get to us, okay? And we're jumping on this trampoline, you know, just stupid, you know, kids. And, like, we see these other kids, like, hey, bitches, hey, fags, blah, 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 blah. You know, just lippy 10, 11-year-old kids, you know, being mm-hmm. little shits. And, I mean, obviously now I would never use the, the F word, but that, those were the terms that we used back then because we're just, you know, silly kids. We didn't you know, didn't any, know better. any better. And... Oh my God. So I'm doing my paper route. Okay. 
Yes. And there's like this hill that goes down and then there's a right turn and then it goes up. There's a hill that goes up to my cul-de-sac. And there's one last house on the corner at the bottom of the hill. And I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm doing my thing. I'm like on my last house. Everything's awesome because I'm almost done. And then I look diagonally across the street and there's those kids. And I'm like, fuck. Oh, no. And there's like, there's like four or five of them. Maybe it was three or four, but. It was at least three or four, okay? I'm outnumbered. And as the, and it was like something out of a movie. Like they're like they're like, Oh, there he is. And like they ran across the street <laughs> like to come toward me. Like it was like it was like uh like a Christmas story all over again. Like the bullies were coming to get me. And I was like, Holy shit, like I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die. And so I took karate at the time and I'm thinking to myself, Okay, okay, like I'm gonna psych them out. I'm gonna psych I'm gonna psych them out. They're going to be intimidated and they're going to walk away. They're gonna and they're show also them the katas. Yes. Yes. This, is, <laughs> this fucking happened. Okay. So, and these kids are all like, you know, like around like one or two years older than me too. So I'm terrified and I'm like, I know karate. And they're like, yeah. And I was like, yeah. And I showed them my katas. And as I'm showing them the katas, this one kid literally like, you know, I showed him my katas and I guess he was like, whoa. I, I'm assuming in my kid mind, I was like, oh, yeah, like I showed him. So instead of having a proper fight, he takes a step forward and he boots me right in the balls as hard as he could. <laughs> <laughs> and like, so I guess my like katas worked because they didn't want to fight me. Um, but the downside was I, I literally, I, 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 I kid you not, I, the pain, the first thing I felt when he kicked me was like pure rage. I was like, oh, I can't believe you just did that. And then I was going to kill him. And then I took like two steps forward. And then there was these almost tendrils of pain yeah. that went up from my groin into my chest and then literally pulled me to the ground. And I literally, now the story gets worse. I actually crawled my way into the cul-de-sac. Like I crawled up the hill to the cul-de-sac because I couldn't walk. And then I walked in the house and my mom, like, she sees me and like, obviously I'm not in a good way. And I'm like, I'm going to kill those kids. Like, I'm, I'm going to fucking kill those kids. And so I went and I was going to go get a hockey stick and put on a cup. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. I know, right? Ten-year-old brain. Cup. I'm going to put on a cup and they can't uh, hurt me. Yeah. If I wear a cup, can't hurt me. Oh, boy. So here I am, right? And I'm ready to like throw down with these kids. Like I'm gonna kill these kids. My mom's like, "What happened? What happened?" I'm like, "They kicked me in the nuts." My mom's like, "Oh my god, you know they kick you in the nuts. That means you might not even have kids." I'm gonna talk to their mom, and I'm like, "I'm like, no, 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 mom, no, no, no. I'm gonna go over there. I'm gonna kill them." And my dad's just sitting there, and he like just silent. Like he just he doesn't know what to say because I think he wants to like support this like mentality this way i want to destroy these kids yeah and my dad just doesn't know what to say like he's sitting there and he's like it's just silent and long and short of it my mom drags me into the car and we drive to where these kids live my mom asks them for their mother and they basically told her to fuck off <laughs> and made fun of me in the car they're like oh you brought your mom and i'm like Oh dear God! Oh dear God! Like oh, I just, no. I just, I just had my balls oh, kicked no. into my chest, <laughs> and now, like, to go with the physical embarrassment, I also have to deal with the embarrassment of, oh, you called your mom on us. Oh no! Oh, it was a total disaster. <laughs>
oh, there's I, if something was gonna go wrong in my childhood, like if it could go wrong, it went wrong. There was that was just the way that it went. Hmm. Well, what's um <laughs> now? What's a memory before we move on? What's a memory that that holds some significance? What does that mean in that time frame? Back when I was a kid. Yeah. Good, bad. Um, Christmas. We had when I was twelve, which is kind of at the end of that time frame. Yeah. Uh, maybe seven to twelve. I played football since I was seven years old, and at that point, football felt. There's actually a couple. There's a couple of memories. I'll tell you one other one, which is pretty funny, and they both kind of shaped a little bit you know, who I am and how I even operate probably to this day because I'm a nerd and a jock and I'm really open about that. Like I'm totally a nerd and I'm also totally a jock. I remember one year we, our football season, we actually won every single game of the year and we didn't just win. We destroyed teams. Like it was crazy. And it was so funny because when we, when we use terminology or language on the sideline we weren't allowed to swear because we we're just kids so that so it was oh cream them cream them you know it was never you know get them or fuck them up it was like cream them cream them like we just we had to use these like really generic terms i'm hungry now and and we won every game of the year and then we ended up winning the championship and i remember we had to go to prince george it was like minus 10 and the, the ground was like a hard rock and we yeah. just um actually no that was semifinals. but anyway we ended up winning the championship and at the end of the year i actually got like a a trophy for being the best offensive lineman, which nice. is interesting because at that time it felt like I was the best, you know? Um, but there's also a funny memory I have in grade two. I, at one point didn't like school and I got someone to help me with my math and I got so good at math. Like I had this teacher let us go through the textbook at our own speed. And wow. me, I made this into a, I made this into a competition and I was not, a smart kid. Like I wasn't one of those kids that was studious. Okay. I wasn't one of those kids that, you know, I went in and got A's. I was just happened to be kind of smart. And so I made it into a competition with these other smart kids. Okay. Over spring break, I learned the entire multiplication tables. <gasps> no, because I wanted to get a leg up yeah. on all these smart kids. <laughs> <laughs> and so my nickname between me and my mom was MMM. MMM. And I'd write M cubed on my on my duo tang. And it stood for Mad Math Man. <laughs> God. Something so, only a, a mother could could embrace. <laughs> man, she's just he's, happy as he's the mad math man. Yeah. Look out, ladies. Yeah, I'm gonna be doing my multiplication tables. Look out. Mothers, hold on to your daughters. On the weekends. <laughs> the mad math man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a preschool show. Right. He's the mad math man. That's me. Yeah, I had I actually had uh books on, on multiplication wow. and, and speed multiplication wow. and, and ways of doing it in really quickly like faster than a calculator and I, I just thought it was so cool like it was one of my first I guess before I really got into like English and writing first I guess inklings that I could actually be smart in school so it was cool oh that's really cool yeah so moving on you know high school awkward yeah so awkward. <laughs> was it just the same thing over again? 
Like, <sighs> was okay. there a difference between elementary and high school? Okay, there was you? there was differences for sure. What there were, was. <sighs> what were some of the things that were the same and some of the things that were different? So in grade eight, I had a friend, one friend that I made my friend. Get out of here. A special person. Yeah. And we were like best friends. Nick Albright, if you're out there saying, hey, you're awesome. Um, yeah, he totally would be like, yeah, we were cool. And they left <laughs> in grade nine. And oh, I'm like, no. not again. Not no. again. Like, I was devastated. You know, he was my one super close friend. Like, we were super tight. We did everything together. And, and then he left. And then grade nine got super awkward because I didn't know where to hang out. And also, when you're grade eight, grade nine, you want to you want to kind of hang out with the cool kids. And when they figure out one thing, you know, being a immigrant and being in high school, you, at least in my family, I never really got good with lingo. I never got good with snappy comebacks. I never mm. really got good with managing my emotions or staying cool under pressure. Mm -hmm. And so when someone would give me like an insult, you know, it sounded you know funny to, to me. Yeah. It's, or I would like try to find some weird way of throwing it back at them. And they just look at me like a stupid kid. Like, wow. Wow. Like what, what did you, what did you just say? Like, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm just mad at you. Like, I'm just so mad. Like, ugh. and, and I just, I didn't have a way of actually, with any sense of mastery communicating how to have like a good comeback. I can never, I can never fight with words. I was awful with well, words. You were the mad math man. Yes. I was like Triple M, more baby. of a dork. And, and you know, I, I, I was more interested in trying to get to know people than be good at comebacks or like, yeah. you know, have social status. Like that was never, I mean, it looked cool. I'm sure at some point I was, you know, the grade eight version of me was like, Oh, I really want to be cool. Of course. But, at my heart, I think I just like to getting to know people. And so that group thing, actually to this day, I generally shy away from big groups. Like I just, yeah, I have a very natural inclination to just stay away from big groups because I don't feel like I get any of the interactions that I actually want to get out of them. So anyway, so my guy left, you know, he was awesome. I, I, I just want to, I like the idea, like, hey, Seb, you're an idiot. Yep, you're you're um uh handsome. Oh, it was so it was so, so awful. Cringy. It was so awful. Oh my god. You know, and then I'd even imagine this, right? My dad, who's you know, fresh yep. off the boat, I go, mm -hmm. Dad, what do I say? What do I say? Oh no. And he's like, you you look at them and you tell them, left hand is handicap, right hand is graveyard. And these kids are like, what the fuck are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> fuck him up right come and, on now oh my god so grade 9 and 10 were like super awkward years super awkward because I didn't really have a place to be so it was hard I, so I what, did, what did you do you're kind of friendless you don't know yeah. what to do with yourself you're not good in social interactions yeah I didn't really like, have how do you, how do you how did you pass the time in school like during lunch breaks I hung out with the computer dorks Oh, okay. But they didn't know what to do with me. Like, I was like, I was like, um, were, were you, you ever, still fat? I was, oh yeah, I was fat. Okay. But imagine you ever see those, uh, what's the best way to describe it? Imagine a litter of a bit, uh, a big posse of cats. Okay. Or even dogs. Let's say dogs. Okay. okay. 
And then you have this big posse of dogs, right? And like hanging out. They all get each other. They all understand each other. They've been friends for like forever. And then this dog just walks in. This mm-hmm. really big dog. And they're all kind of like, uh, uh, I guess you're here. <laughs> yeah. Like it was really awkward. They didn't know. I was an outsider. And the outsiders. These are, yeah, and, and in, amongst the outsiders. And they just didn't know how to interact with me because I was this big football kid. And so they didn't even know how to make sense of it. They're kind of like, okay, I guess you're hanging out with us now. Did, <laughs> did was, you ever have a camaraderie or friendship with the other football players? Well, that's the thing. The guy who ended up kind of becoming my nemesis, for lack of a better term, um, you know, I, I don't want to say that like not as a person, but just as a figurative, as a figure in my childhood. Yes. He also played on the football team. And so early on in grade eight and grade nine, it was isolated that Sebastian can't really fight verbally and didn't often have the courage to fight physically. So if we can attack him, we can actually, we could jumpstart our status in the cool group because we could say that, oh, wow, like I picked on that big kid and he just took it and I just took it. Mm. Right. So that was, and a lot of the kids that hung out in the cool group also played football. So it made it really awkward because on the football field, I had a lot of respect because I played for so long. Yes. But once I was off the football field, I guess everybody had this understanding that I wasn't who I was on the field than that I was when I was without the pads. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever do what your dad tell you, like a right hand for <laughs> handicap or left hand for grave? Um, did, did, did you ever use that line? Did you ever take yeah, I did. his advice? I did use the line. That's what yeah. I mean. And the kids looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> yes. And then, then in grade nine. And they just nine, called your bluff? Well, well, then I, I just, I think I, I was trying to find anything to like, Stop bolster, the stop the bullying. And then yeah. when I was in grade nine, I, I actually, oh my, this, I got to tell you this story. It's so good. I mean, if you don't mind, because there was a point where the bullying almost stopped, which is in grade nine, it was getting particularly bad and kids that weren't, you know how you have like a pecking order, like a social pecking order. Yes. Kids that were not even high on the pecking order were starting to like gang up on me and we're in this Ooh. assembly and these two kids, this one guy starts gleeking. You understand what I mean by that? Like spitting uh, just... between his teeth. Mm-hmm. Like those little like sprays of spit. Oh, that's gross. And he's spitting all over my back. Oh. Okay. And I'm, you know, at this point, I've already been pushed so, so far. D- push push it to the limit? Oh, they, yeah. I was just, uh. you know, I was I was like a, a powder keg ready to explode. Mm-hmm. And I finally like decided like I'm gonna set my my boundary here like this is where I'm gonna set my line. And the thing is, when you're that young, I don't know what it is, but it's terrifying to stand up to a group of kids. And if you've been if you've been terrorized by a group of kids, you think that they're all gonna beat you up, or or you just think these totally illogical things. So it's just really hard. Like I remember, I'll tell you two stories. One time I. There's one kid who was just really getting on me, like just never ending. And it was funny because I actually considered him a friend in grade eight, but then he became cool. 
and then he just treated me like shit. And I'm in the, I'm in the, this is something my dad would do. I did what I thought my dad would do. We get into the change room and they always call me bitch tits because it's fat. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it enraged me because everyone would laugh at me. All the kids would laugh. I mean, groups of guys are just horrible to kids. Okay. And so they're all laughing at me. And finally, like this guy, he bends over to tie his shoe. And I'm telling you, like, before I smacked his head, like, that's what I did. My hand was physically shaking because I, all of me really didn't want to do it. Like, I was really scared. And I just smacked him on the back of the head, like, as hard as I could. And then he, like, threw a bunch of punches. And we, like, you know, nobody, nothing landed because I do karate. And um, we ended up just looking at each other. And I'm like, what now? And then I walked away. But in this other instance with the gleeking... This, uh, I tell these two kids, I'm going to fight them because mm-hmm. this is it. I've had enough. And we're sitting in front of my, I, I meet them at my locker and I look at them and I guess, you know, they didn't see this coming. They didn't think I was actually going to fight them and I was going to fight both of them. I didn't care. I just, I didn't even care about my health at the point. I didn't care about how I would feel. I didn't care if I got hurt. It was just more about, I want this to stop now. And I'm sitting there staring at them. I'm like, okay, like, uh, are we going to do this? And they look at me and they're kind of like, they don't know what to do because they're shocked that I'm actually showing up. And they're, I, at this point, actually played football sometimes with the seniors. And this is cool. This is where I got a lot of respect, actually, with the senior kids. They love me because they, they just saw me and, they, they, you know, I was this, like, super hardworking football player. And, and I guess that they thought it was really cool, like, a grade niner playing with grade 12s. Yeah. Practicing with grade 12s is pretty badass, right? Mm-hmm. And so out of nowhere, this guy who's a couple years older than us, who has the reputation as being one of the toughest kids in the school, who also happens to play on the football team, walks in on us. And he looks at me and he goes, Seb, like, what's what's going on? And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm going to fight them. And he's like, what? I'm like, yeah, I'm, we're going to fight. And he's like, what? And like, he's getting mad. <laughs> and I'm like, holy shit, like, wh- what's about to happen? And he literally takes this one kid and he grabs him by the throat and he like throws him into the locker. And I was like, oh my God. I'm like, this is the greatest day ever. <laughs> yeah. Like, like this guy walked in and he just basically like completely vouched for me in that moment. Like, don't fuck with Seb. And I was like, Oh my God. I'm like, this is the, like, I'm telling you, it was like the greatest day ever. Like when I went home, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I, like this guy had the rep of being like the toughest kid in school and he just totally vouched for me and it was really cool. So, uh, but then, yeah, so that period kind of ended and then I kind of reconnected with a bunch of people I knew from elementary who weren't acting weird anymore in grade 10. And then I had like a good group of friends from like grade 10 to 12. And it wasn't so awkward, but the first two years were just absolutely brutal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Now, now high school is a special age for oh, yeah. a young lad. Sure is. Yeah. Uh, do girls ever get into the picture? You try to actually like build relation. No. <laughs> You're the. I wish everyone could see the look of your face. Like no. I'm talking crazy. No. <laughs> just not in the I, picture. I had labeled everyone else had labeled me the fat kid. I labeled yeah. myself the fat kid. So I remember I'd pretty much 
given up on the concept of actually having a girlfriend. I played third wheel all the time and I pretty much made it my goal if I wasn't going to have a girlfriend to just get to know them. It's a good strategy. Yeah, because you know, they, to me at the time they were this like foreign entity and I didn't understand them and, and I thought, okay. And like, then there was your mom. Yeah, but my mom was just I don't know. It's not the same. <laughs> She loves you no matter what you do. Yes. yes. So, no, I mean, in my case, yeah. So it was, and and we also didn't like talk about like certain things and different issues. And my mom was just busy being a mom. So, yeah. Your mom never, uh, any of your parents try to like have the talk with you? Oh, I don't recall it actually. No. If, if it happened, it was quick. <laughs> Yeah, you don't like, even remember it was so no, quick. No, I don't even remember. No. It was like your first time quick. I think they just thought I'd be a virgin forever. Ah. It's possible. Uh, I mean, uh. I just, I was a kind of an awkward fat kid in the beginning of high school, and the concept of even having a girlfriend was just like, no. Hmm. Like, I didn't. Even, it didn't even enter my conscious thoughts that I could possibly have a girlfriend or that somebody would want me because I viewed myself as just, being fat and ugly so it wasn't even a, it wasn't it wasn't even an idea it didn't even go on the menu like i thought girls talked to me because i gave them advice oh okay yeah like we had this religion class and we'd pass notes and they'd ask me questions and then we'd sit there and we'd analyze problems and i'd try to break it down for them and we try to empathize everyone's position and everything i even had an alter ego it was really cool oh okay yeah this okay I, I get it. That's that's interesting. Yeah, it was it was yeah. it was actually a lot of fun. So during the high school years, you know, uh your dad is still working on the boat? No, this or? is this is like when things got like that's when things got pretty rough, right? Is because my dad comes off the boat, he's on workers comp, he's not happy, and he's just really angry and you know, I'm adolescent puberty. So, I mean, I'm full of piss and vinegar too. So mm-hmm. you've alluded that you and your dad, especially during those years, oh, yeah. did not see eye to eye. Oh, yeah. I thought he was going to like, I thought he was actually going to like kick the shit out of me multiple times. Serious. <laughs> I, I totally believe you. Like, I, I've I, met the man. I literally had points where I, I don't want to say I hated him, but I hated him. Like I like physically, he in my mind stood for. He didn't respect my opinions on things. He didn't respect my viewpoints on things. He didn't respect what I have to say. He literally only looked at what role you're in. And my role to him was his son. Therefore, I'm supposed to do what I'm told. If I'm not doing what what I'm told, then I'm not being a good son. And so because of that, you know, I, I detested. I super hated that. And I told him that. Like, I, it's funny. Like, I was... 14, 15 years old, and I had these, I mean, I was angry, but I had these gems of things that I would say, like, hey, dad, like, that's really cool. Like, you put a roof over our head, and you put food on the table, but you got nothing because your son fucking hates you. Mm-hmm. I know that's kind of dark. I mean, but you see where I'm coming from. It is from, what it is. Right? So, it was interesting. Like, even at that age, I knew that it's not all about what you have, because... If you can't take care of the relationships or the people around you or respect people around you, then all that stuff really doesn't matter. And I, I knew that. So 
Yeah. yeah, there was a lot of times I, I thought, like, literally, I was going to die. I'm like, I'm going to die. Like, I would say something to him just to, like, make him explode. And then I, I'd i be looking at his face, and it was, like, looking at the devil. And I'm like, I'm going to die. 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 And then, like, I'd wait for my mom to run and be like, don't you lay a finger on him. And I'm like, oh, my God. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Like, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die. <laughs> mom, so, he's there to save you. Well, that was the only rule, right? Is I, And I don't even know. Like, would have been better if he just beat me up? Like, I'm not sure. I don't know. Words, words hurt, uh, man. Words hurt. That's the tricky part. Words do hurt. Yeah, more than a fist sometimes. Exactly. So it was, it was a, it was a rough time. It it sounds like, I mean, uh, for the first couple years of high school and at home is just chaos, 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 chaos. Well, it was pretending and then chaos. Yeah. So we'd pretend everything was fine for Easter and Christmas. We'd pretend we're a perfect family. We'd go to church once in a while when I was a kid, and we'd pretend we're perfect, and we'd go to New Year's, we'd pretend we're perfect. And I hate, I just, I hated that part because we were never who we were, which is, we were How just How did that humans. make you feel? It made me mad because I had to pretend I was feeling nothing. You know, I had to, we had to have fights and then go to sleep and pretend nothing happened the next day. Hmm. You know, we never had a discussion about, Hey, like that was a rough day yesterday. How did that make you feel? Those were not discussions. It was, I we would have a fight. I'd go to my room, I'd cry myself to sleep, and then wake up the next day and we pretend nothing happened. Wow, that's that was the pattern. Like when we had fights, my mom was stuck in the living room with my dad because she couldn't pick sides. She couldn't go to the room to console me, so I was stuck by myself, crying by myself. And so, I think even to this day, like I have. I get triggered by certain things because I feel like I wasn't listened to as a kid. And so, it, you know, that's something I'm working on actually like all the time. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's some, you definitely do. Um, what's, what's something during those years that, you know, you're like, yeah, that was me. You know, what was there a moment where you're like, yeah, I'm fucking awesome. Well, for me, it was a lot of it had, oh, there's a couple. There's a couple. A lot of them have to do with sports. Sports was my getaway. Sports Mm. is the one place where I could be as angry as I want. And it was okay. And it was totally okay. And there's a couple of times, there's one in particular, we have a, I played for Holy Cross High School and you know it's a catholic school and there's another crosstown rival stm and stm we every single year we had a bowl game and you know it's the big game and it's for pride like you know we always talk about how if you win that game and you see that grad you can always tell them well wait hey you know what like maybe you won the season but we won the pepsi bowl it's the, Ooh, Pepsi, the Pepsi Bowl. It's the Pepsi Bowl. Hey, everybody. And, Pepsi you know, 3,000 people go out and watch this freaking thing. And our team, like the year before that, we had all these skill guys and they all graduated. And so we were left with these big hogs. Okay. So me, there's like a bunch of big dudes, a lot of heavy hitters, but no skill guys, no good quarterback, no good running back, no good receivers. Oh, it's boy. just like... And I just remember we went into that game, like we were we were barely gonna make the playoffs, and STM was undefeated, and everyone's like, 
oh, like you guys, like we just assumed everyone thought we were going to lose. And I remember our principal who also was the offensive line coach and I was a lineman. Yeah. He, before this game, he like got everyone so fucking fired up. It was insane. And we played the most physical fucking game of football with these kids. Like it was insane. Like anytime we had a chance to hit them, we hit them and we actually shut them out. Wow. We won t- I, I, I don't know what shut out means. Like we won the game 10, nothing. Oh, okay. Like it was wow. not a high scoring affair because we were so physical the whole time. Yeah. But they just couldn't move the ball. They couldn't move the ball because, like, we were just after them like a bunch of rabid dogs. Like, we had nothing to lose yeah. and we had everything to gain. And so I just remember we win the game and I'm like, everyone's like slide, like, we're, we're running across the field and we're sliding on our chests across the mud. We were just so excited. Like, everyone was just so ecstatic in that moment. It was amazing. And it was cool because. In that one moment, and this is the thing that makes football really great, is everybody, even the kids I bullied, you know, they bullied me. Even those kids that we didn't get along, all that stuff didn't matter anymore. All we cared about was the game. Yeah. And that's what made it so magical. So, I mean, there's that one. (laughs) And if you want an individual one, I played roller hockey at a pretty high level. I guess, like I played national. These are all relating to sports. Yes, it was all sports. But I mean, on an individual level. That's fine. I remember when I quit ice hockey, I had to pick between ice hockey and football. Or And I quit ice hockey and I played football. And then I wanted to do something this summer. So I played roller hockey. And it was just a house league. Like I didn't want to like do anything serious with it at the time. But I remember when they did the draft, they just listed me as a goalie because I played goalie in ice hockey. A big guy put him in goalie. Yeah, like. You know, that's what you do in ice, ice hockey. So I didn't get drafted really high in this, like, house league draft. Mm-hmm. And I was 260 pounds. That a boy. And I won the league scoring title. <laughs> and I set the record for more, most goals in a game at 10 goals. And all I would do every single time is I'd either do a snapshot or I'd do, like, a Bertuzzi to the goal. And when you're 260 pounds and 15 years old, no kid's going to stop you getting to the goal. Nope. Nope. <laughs> so it's like... Nope. You, you got uh, adult-like sizes on It was side. so much fun. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, did your parents uh, come out and watch you play? Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. It was, But it was, like, it was the casual game we played. Oh, so they never, like, went to a Pepsi Bowl? No, they went to Pepsi Bowls. Like, okay. football was a big deal. What... Did your dad, what did your dad tell you after like that big game at the Pepsi Bowl? Like, um, I don't even remember, honestly. I mean, I, I, it's funny the things we like choose to remember. I remember, it's funny. I, I don't, I don't remember what he told me. I don't. I do remember a time. Left hand grave. <laughs> yeah. I do remember a time where I played a really bad game. It's funny. Like we always remember the things that like hurt us, right? Yes. And one thing that always stuck with me is I played a really bad game and I remember going back to the car and my dad, he kind of, uh, he's disappointed. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. my mom's like, how did the game go, son? And I'm like, oh, not so well. And she's like, oh, well, you know, next time you'll try harder. It'll be okay. And my dad kind of like, he's in the front seat, he's in the driver's seat and he's kind of like, Shaking his head. Mm-hmm. Sebastian. Sebastian. <laughs> Sebastian. 
you suck today. And I was like, what? Like, no, you suck. When you suck, you suck. And I was like, <laughs> you suck, you suck. Yeah. Like, it was just like, fuck. Like, man, like, I, you didn't think I was punished enough by losing? Like, I needed more salt in the wound. So it always stuck with me, I guess. I, and it was interesting because even, you know, to this day, even sometimes I think I'm a little hard on myself when like things don't go the way that I want. And a lot mm-hmm. of that was I can just, test that. it was ingrained because you always would blame yourself. And I, I don't know if that's like a narcissistic thing to believe that like, no matter what happens, it's your fault. But the, the reality is it really isn't. I mean, there's all kinds of factors that are involved when yeah. things don't go right. So moving on after high school, you go to university, university, Oh my! Oh, math, so, man, math, <laughs> triple oh, M, go to university. All right. It's like I'm writing so, a biography. what'd you go to university for? Originally, yes. honest answer, football. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I got a immediate follow up question. What did you did you have any inclination? What did you want to do for your life? No, you just did it. Did you just. Whatever came well, I, I I heard I got accepted. They gave me a partial scholarship. Nice, and because I was you know young, but I was also a good player, and they gave me a partial scholarship, and so they're like, okay, and and you know I came back home. We were in Poland on a after I graduated. It was kind of a, it was a, you know a, a celebration trip for graduating. Yeah, and. I didn't even think I was even thinking about football. I wasn't even thinking about university. I put in all these applications, but I didn't think anything of it. Nobody even accepted any of them. So I'm on my vacation. I'm just enjoying myself. And then I come back home and I hear my dad has like some kind of news for me. And my parents are just glowing. And they're like, oh, guess what? Seb, guess what? What? I'm like, what? They're like, you got accepted to university. And I was like, part of me was like, oh, yeah. And part of me was like, oh, no. <laughs> because because I really just wanted to chill, I think. Part of me really just wanted to chill, and I knew that that wasn't going to happen. So I got accepted to university, boy. and it's like, okay, um, I just want to play football then. Uh, what can I take? And they're like, oh, you got accepted arts. I'm like, okay, I'm taking arts. Okay. So I in my first two years, I literally just took a lot of courses that I liked. So I took like psychology and philosophy and a bunch of English courses and some intro. I actually took some pre-commerce stuff because I figured business would be good for me. But I wasn't really up to snuff when it came to studying because really my I didn't have a real intention when I got there. I just want to play football, really. I just want to play football. Yeah. I mean, it, it just meant it was cool for me to play on that kind of stage. University football seemed like a really cool thing at the time. Yeah. So how, I mean, how did that go? with the football like the aspect of one you're in university for you know you're just kind of taking courses you mildly interested in and the other part is you're there for football yeah I mean, football football was kind of i was late to the party with the first year so my first year i wasn't as strong as like i played offensive line so if you're aware of how football works they have a saying that offensive linemen are are created or no, are made, not created. And what that means is when you are a freshman in university, you're typically undersized because you're 18. A lot of the guys you're playing with are you know, 21, 22, 23. Mm. Back then, they had different eligibility rules. We were playing against, sometimes we were playing against guys who were 30. 
Jesus. Not even joking. So that's brutal. 18 year old playing against, you know, 22, 23, 24 year olds. You're trying to fill out your body. And I was just really weak for the first season. But amazingly, being, you know, only 18, I started three games that year at the end of the year. Nice. And it was great. I mean, I got a lot of stories, man. <laughs> my first my first game, the guy across from me was six foot five and three hundred and seventy pounds and twenty two years old. Oh my god. And I was eighteen. Monster. Yeah, like I was terrified. Like he went offside the first plate and it hit me so hard and I and I kinda I, I was taken aback because I'd never felt anyone hit me that hard with a forearm before. Yeah. <laughs> it was terrifying. Oh boy. And I actually won an award for that game. <laughs> <laughs> for taking your beats? <laughs> no, no, I I would really strategically place my helmet underneath his chin every play so he didn't move me. Uh, I literally headbutted uh, his chin for the whole game. Jesus. Yeah, because he was six foot five. Yeah. And I'm six one. So I just dropped my pad level and just into his chin. Okay. Well, and I won an award for that, so go figure. It was just like a you know, it was a casual game work. I won I won a box of BioX bars. <laughs> <laughs> How long did that BioX bar box bar go? About a week. <laughs> a week? Wow. I'm not even. It was not, yeah, okay. That makes sense. So first year <laughs> happened. I made it through. I had all this promise, and then my second year, I back then the internet wasn't what it is now, and I was just looking for like a way to get stronger really fast. And so I found this twenty rep squat routine, and I started doing this twenty rep squat routine, and I got up to doing three hundred fifty. Uh, 350 pounds for 20 reps, and I thought that was really cool. That's like, really wow, good numbers. That's yeah. a that's really good. And but the part that you don't hear when I tell that story is that I didn't even know how to properly squat. Mm. So I literally I squatted like a drag queen. I was on my toes. Oh, yeah, what? like I was physically on my toes. What? Yes. How's that possible? You tell me. <laughs> you tell me. So. I squatted 350 for 20, literally on my toes. My heels were not touching the ground when I did these reps. Okay. On the balls of your feet. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So 350 for 20 on the balls of my feet. And then I went into, it was our last full pads practice before the first game of the season. And I felt so explosive because I didn't do any direct hamstring work. Yeah. So if you understand like anything about anatomy and physiology, your hamstrings are there to protect your knees. If your quads are like super strong, like if your quads are doing work, your hamstrings are there to stabilize everything. And I had no hamstring strength. So mm. they're like, hey, Seb, you want to play defense? I was like, fuck yeah, I'll play defense. And they put me on defense and I run down the field. They, they run this play. I'm not, I'm not going to get into it because it's some people won't get it. But I plant my right leg and I try to push the guy who's on my hip over into the running back. And I could hear the pop. Ooh. And it was like, and I'm like, and I'm like, oh my God. So I thought I popped my knee out. Like I thought I popped my kneecap out. Yeah. And so I'm holding my knee up to my chest and the trainer runs out of the field. And he's like, oh, like I'm going to straighten out your leg. <laughs> and here I am thinking I popped my kneecap out. So the concept yeah. of like straightening out my leg is terrifying. And he straightens my leg out and doesn't make a sound. And I'm thinking to myself, something is really wrong because if I hear a pop like that and then nothing, then nothing popped back in. So something has, has to be messed up. Yeah. So I walk off the field 
and I actually end up doing my stretches. I could, I had actually normal mobility right after it happened. Like I could move around. I was in pain, but I had normal mobility. I could stretch. I could stretch my hamstrings. I can straighten out my knee, everything. So Wake up the, the next day yeah. and I couldn't extend my knee anymore. Mm. Go to the doc. He gives it two pulls. Like, yeah, ACL is gone. <laughs> so yeah, I, I missed my whole second season. Oh no! Yeah, and then you know people called me to hop along, and I did a musical. You did a musical? Yeah, I mean I was what? Yeah, I did a musical. But what? Yeah, while I was recovering my knee, I did a musical for fun. Because you took drama, or no? Like in my in my dorm, we had a musical, and and so okay, all right. <laughs> you should have seen. You should have seen. You should have seen the audition. I, I don't want to see that. You know, like people sing like opera and like yep. regular music. Mm -hmm. I sang Stained. <laughs> With arms wide open and I, I, like, I, and, and, and I finish, I finish my edition and everyone's like, literally oh just God. has their jaws dropped, right? Like. What the fuck was that? And I'm like, oh, I, I was singing, I was singing, uh, I'm on the outside, I'm looking in. The, the solo, the solo. All the times that I cried. So I'm singing that, okay? I'm singing that. And the, the guy who's like running the edition is just like, oh my God, like, what, what just happened? And you can see this look of just dumbfounded look. And he goes, can you just sing the ABCs? <laughs> you can take me higher. Yeah. So, and then and then the drummer, the drummer is like, I guess he like was part of a band or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, looks at me after. He's like, man, it's like I really felt that, dude. And I was like, yeah. Oh my god. Oh my <laughs> god. Was, yeah. So I did a musical in year two. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh man. Yeah. So, yeah. Let's uh, home life. Or you were you were in the dorms. I I was in the dorms and I was still oh my goodness, so many embarrassing things. I I was a virgin at Totem Park, which apparently on the Letterman show was like top five places to get laid, and I was a virgin. And I remember, I never even kissed a girl until I was twenty years old. Oh okay. So I never kissed a girl until I was twenty. Mm -hmm. And I remember. Did you like it? Oh, which kissing a girl? You oh. kissed the girl. Yeah, you I liked, liked it? it. Of course. All right. Yeah, the first girl I kissed, I actually dated for two years. So wow. that was pretty cool. But I remember in my dorm, I had this friend who played on the football team, and he'd he'd be walking by, like he'd see my open window, and he'd be singing "Tragically Hip," and he'd be like, "He's thirty-eight years old." Never kissed a girl. And I'm like, you motherfucker. <laughs> I hate you right now. Oh, I was so I, mad. I just want to point out, uh, when <laughs> when you're a virgin beyond the age of 18 and a male, yeah, boy, oh boy, you don't hear the end of it. Well, I didn't really have that many close friends, I guess, and not many people knew. But the ones that did, yeah, they they would like give me a hard time. Yeah. But I remember, I remember girls would like come on to me, and I just like wouldn't know what to do. Ah. Like I remember one time, this one girl just left herself in my room, and we just had this like long conversation. Just a long yeah, conversation. Because I just didn't know really what to do. 
So, yeah, oh, it took boy. a while. It took a long time. Thank God I had a uh, actually one of my closest friends back then. He was he was super cool. He was actually uh, we used to do all kinds of silly stuff. We yeah. So, uh, how did that first kiss? Did she kiss you? Did you make the move? Hmm. I honestly <laughs> like were, do, so you, were you worried you weren't going to do the right thing not really cuz I I used to build up like my first kiss to be this like crazy thing and then I kind of like gave up on making it this crazy thing cuz I was putting all this pressure on it yeah and it was way too much pressure and I just wouldn't be able to do anything so I had uh, my friend try to hook me up with one of these girls he he would see occasionally at Christina Lake, which is where they had their cabin. And I pretty sure full explicit version, I received something oral before I even made a kiss. <laughs> this is hilarious. You kiss after oral? Yes. Well, nothing like, wrong with what that. I'm saying is like, yeah, I, I I'm pretty sure sexually the saltiest we kiss went, in the world. No, no, no. I'm saying like I'm saying like my girlfriend, the person who became my girlfriend, yeah. actually gave me a head down. in my car. Oh, in front of her parents' house, and then like we still hadn't kissed yet. <laughs> oh my god! Right, like it was it was crazy, and then and then she came. She ended up moving to North Van. And then when I was playing football, we started dating. And then, like, one thing just kind of led to another. But the kiss wasn't, like, I didn't build up it up as much. But we had, like, really clear communication about, like, what we wanted and all that stuff. And I think at that point, like, she was just excited to be, like, dating this, like, big football player at UBC. So, Ooh, yeah, it was prestige. a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Right. So, it was cool. It worked out. How how was uh, the parental units? During this time, um, what was your your dad? Uh, I tried still... to like avoid it. They they seemed to calm down because of the university. So you just got away from them more. Well, I got away from them more, and I guess they didn't see me as much, so they missed me a little bit. And a combination of that, and while well, you're going to university, so you're doing the right thing. You're the first one in our family to actually go to university, yeah. so we're not going to get on you as much, and so. That was good, but yeah. I I do remember like really awkward car rides. Like my dad would be driving me to university, and he like literally just break out into like this motivational speech. <laughs> yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. It was right really, hand handicap. I'm just left like, grave. I'm just like, dad, like really, like really, like, I don't know. That transitions, um, because. When I knew you, you know, you, you've already been doing MMA and you graduated mm -hmm. uh, university. No, I didn't graduate. That's oh, you didn't graduate? No. Okay. What happened there? No, I dropped out. Because? Because my coach was a jerk and I already had one knee reconstruction and yeah, they wanted to, they didn't want to honor the deal that we had about our, my scholarship money and- Oh. And- I, you know, as someone who identified with primarily with football, I just decided to like walk away because wow. football wasn't working out. My coach basically, in my eyes, stabbed me in the back, and and you know, we made a deal before the season that like if I paid played more than half the games of the year, 
then he'd give me an extra $500 of scholarship money, which is like a really small amount. Tiny. I played every single game of the year. We lost every single game of the year. Mm. I was plunged into a depression, basically. And at the end of all that, he had the guile to tell me that I didn't play well enough. Yeah. You got to blame something or someone. Because of that, I just I couldn't play for him anymore. I remember going to spring camp, and I pretty much knew at that point, like deep down, that I was done. Yeah. And I so I just dropped out, and then I, w- I went to fitness equipment sales instead because I figured that blended sports and Straight business. into the job market. Yeah, right into the job market. How do your parents take a... Oh, they're choked. <laughs> Became a fight for like a decade. <laughs> a yeah. decade-long fight. Yeah, at least. Yeah. You should oh have never locked away from university. You should have just finished. And like, you know, part of me part of me thinks, yeah, they're probably right, but I was just so miserable at the time. I don't even know if I could have yeah. finished, honestly. Like I didn't care. Like I not only just like lost I didn't just lose the football season. I mean, I remember walking away from classes. I didn't show up to exams. I destroyed my relationship. So this is, you know, this is a bad time, really bad time. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do with myself. So I just, I found a job and started working that job. And, and that was it. It was, it was over. It was done. Yeah. Wow. That chapter, done. Yeah. New one starts. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it didn't work out, right? So yeah. where was I going to go? Like, I wasn't going to go play for another team. And exactly. Everything else kind of like went to hell. So I had to start somewhere. So after that, uh, you just mentioned you went to do sales Mm -hmm. um, at a fitness equipment supply store. Sure did. Now, you've told me personally, like, some interesting stories about that. uh, And you learned a lot from the job. It was awesome. Yeah, it's kind of like... Your job is to be social. Yes. So you learn to interact with people at a really high level Uh, in that kind of environment. Were some of the big takeaways from that job? The, some of the people, some of the things you learned. Hmm. Yeah, there's a couple. I think one of the big ones is in one of my positions at one of the one of the stores. There was a girl who was an assistant manager who also happened to be fiance to the regional manager. As and, you do, and I wanted her position so bad. <laughs> Uh-huh. And this was a mistake. <laughs> oh yeah. So I, I learned a little bit of diplomacy after that <laughs> because there's just certain things that exist and you have to be aware of them and you have to respect those things because when you don't, it creates some really awkward situations and you put a lot of people in a really bad spot. Yeah. So I kind I feel like I learned how to be a better team player through that. We also did we did a really cool personality profiling workshop, which I thought was really interesting. So we did, they called it DISC. And DISC stands for Dominant Intuitive uh, Steadiness and Conscientiousness. And so you'd like rank on all these factors. And I remember that I thought that was like super fascinating. It really, I think I feel like it almost, it gave me a framework within which to communicate with people at a better level. So that was cool. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because it was like a two-day workshop. Hmm. I I had a couple of, I mean, I, I, I was, 
I learned I was really competitive, even cutthroat at times. <laughs> Get out of here. Get out of you. Get no- yeah. Nothing you've said so far has alluded to you being competitive. I was a little vindictive at points. Why? Yeah. How, how could that the, happen? There are rules at certain companies that are made just because of me. Interesting. Uh, you want to allude to one of those? Or I... Statue is a limitation. It's a good one. No, no, no. I... <laughs> Just, just remember. Yeah. I won a cruise for a company, like for a sales contest. Yeah. I buzzed my head into a mohawk for fun. Knew that I was going to work for the competition when I got back home. Oh. Took the cruise. Oh. Had a pre-sent email that like on the day that I got back from the cruise, it would send the email saying that I was done. And I was actually with my girlfriend at the time. And we would literally walk into our our bunk, I guess, or whatever you'd call it on a cruise line, your room. Yeah. And we just start cackling. We were just laughing so hard because nobody like nobody had any clue that I literally was oh gonna leave this company God. and work for the competition. So ever oh since they had to like put some kind of a rule where like if you take this competition, you can't just quit. <laughs> <laughs> The irony oh, is boy. they actually hired me back at some point, too. Which is oh, wow. Cool. Yeah, I was a hard worker. Good sales. I was a really hard worker. I think it was a yeah. combination. Good sales and hard worker. I mean, it's tough to say no to someone who's just willing to put in work. And they mm-hmm. knew that I had a really good work ethic, so they were willing to take me back. And then when I finally wanted to leave, my regional manager was like, I was like, hey, like I don't feel like it anymore. My regional manager was like, you're fired. I was like, okay. And he paid me my severance. It's really cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, so it nice. worked out actually. You know, I I know that I might have, might have been a bit of a handful, but it worked out. Yeah. So, did you were you starting at this point in your life? What were you thinking about as far as what you want to do in the future? No one's future is the self and its equipment. Well, I I, I always wanted to be a trainer at some point. I wanted to help people. That was one of the main reasons I did sales is I could help people. I mean. One thing that separated me from a regular salesperson is that oftentimes I would make the recommendation that would make me less money. Yeah. Which I think would be really rare. I mean, I don't even know if I'd act the same way now. Like, I remember a whole family of, you know, a family would come into the store and they'd see me and they'd kind of, you know, I'm a salesperson, so mm-hmm. take everything with a grain of salt and all mm-hmm. those things. And I would literally look at them and I just say it to them how it is. Like, like these two treadmills are literally the same price. I make $50 more if I sell you this one, but I'm not recommending you that one. And they didn't know how to even respond to that. Oh, nice. Because I was just so blunt and honest. Good tactic. And it actually properly. ended up... Yeah, like it literally, I think it actually won me the contest. Nice. Yeah, yeah, because I, I did believe in the product. It was really cool. So, hmm. But I just sold what I believed in, and I sold, tried to help them out as much as I could. And So I had an idea I wanted to help people, but I had a few underlying beliefs about what I thought personal training was. I had a friend who was close, who actually, another coworker actually, who did training, and he's like, oh, he's like, I get these guys from like workers comp and like they don't want to work. And like, he just made it sound like this, like terrible, really horrible experience. So, and I I also, I mean, I always just assumed like if I became a trainer that I would be this like masochist, you know, like 
you gotta work hard or I'm gonna I'm gonna you know what that's it we're done if you don't work hard enough I'm just not gonna train with you anymore wow no like that's like my mentality because the way I trained in the gym was like a lunatic so, so a good way to build business wow I mean <laughs> business how, how how can you I don't know like how, my motivational tactic that back then was you know you're fat go to the gym so and that was that's the G rated version yeah so. what else, what else did you know well, I mean, right. I, I knew how to communicate with people, but, and then I knew how to work out. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was pretty limited back then in terms, but I, I also, I knew certain things I didn't want, I guess, if that makes sense. So I didn't really want to go like everybody else. I didn't want to take the same path as everybody else. I, I didn't just want to have a family right away. I didn't feel like I understood myself. I didn't really feel like I understood what I wanted. So I feel like I probably just took that time to figure that out before I just jumped into something. I, I'm I'm really big about being really conscious about your decisions that way. So you left that job and so the club. You were at the club. Yeah. Now, did you? When did you start uh, the personal training? When did you start going down that road? Before that, after doing the club or. After the, oh my goodness, it was actually during a really rough year. It was a really rough year. I had never been fired in my life. I'd always had control over where I worked and I got asked to go into their office and they let me go. And for me, I had never been fired before in my life. I never thought I had to save money. I only had a little bit of money on me. And so I was fired. I had no money. I had no money. I was actually at one point I was broke. I was so broke. I was living off eggs. And at that point I decided that I never wanted to have a company have that much power over me ever again. And that was part of the impetus for why I started personal training Mm -hmm. because I could make my own schedule. I could find my own clients and I could have control over my destiny that way because I thought I was a good worker, but they still fired me. They just pay you your severance and say, thank you very much. They're not even legally entitled to do anything more. So, you know, I was like, wow, okay, cool. Like, you know, I, I just didn't want that to ever happen again. And then what I did is I took personal training and the physical aspect of it. And I thought to myself, what if it is more than just physical? Like what if what if someone comes to me and they want to work out, but they also want help with something else or they just want to hang out or maybe they're just doing it for their mental health. And that was the part that really got me excited because if it was solely about just the physical side of things, I don't think I'd be a personal trainer. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think that even interests me. You know, you can go find a trainer, you can go find an app to lift a weight, but can you can you find someone who can maybe mentor you or coach you or give you advice about just how to be a healthier person? I think that's invaluable. I think if you just want to get in shape, like why even bother going through the hassle of finding a trainer when you just get some app to tell you what to do? So I was really interested in the human side of personal training and what could be provided that was outside even the realm of the physical. Mm. And that attracted like a certain kind of clientele, which was really cool. Yeah. And, you know, uh, at one point 
you alluded to, you uh, started becoming a bouncer. We're, we are going to have the bouncer episode where we yes, will go in detail we about should. that. Totally. Uh, you know, as time is uh, slowly ticking away, mm-hmm. uh, one story that kind of you've told me in different ways is your relationships at that point mm-hmm. were not, you know, not the best. Oh, yeah. My late 20s. Was just yeah. A late 20s. You become an adult. Mm-hmm. You know, you're working in clubs or you're working yeah. on personal training. Totally. Yeah. What oh. were those like? What was it like to be with Sebastian? Who was Sebastian in a relationship at those times? I was. I feel like if it's funny, one of the last relationships I had in my 20s. I recall and and I'm not sure if this is accurate anymore, but I recall calling my girlfriend at the time. I was like, wow, she's such a narcissist. And. At the time, I thought I was, like, so far removed from being that person. Like, like in my mind, I was, like, not even close to being a narcissist or having narcissistic traits. Mm-hmm. And when I look back and I see the way that I reacted to certain things, I really wonder if we were really the perfect match for each other because we were both the same. And we fell in love with the concept of of a fantasy in a way we fell in love with something that wasn't even real we fell in love with two concepts of people that weren't even there we were like dating shadows it was just such a crazy thing in retrospect and when i was there i had absolutely no idea how i was and so it was you know that was in my late 20s there was like a really sad portion with another relationship where I just wasn't around. I just what focused you, what on work. What do you work. mean by not around? Oh, I, like literally. We were, literally, I just wasn't around. Like I would work six days at the at the uh, at the store, mm-hmm. and I managed the store because this is there was a time where I, we had an overlap. So I did both jobs. I was a wow. bouncer on the weekend. Yeah. So Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, I'd work at Celebrities Nightclub. Mm-hmm. Vancouver, BC. Vancouver, BC. Uh, I I don't know if you'd recommend it though. Um, I mean, if you're out of town, you're checking it out. Like, go nuts. Maybe. Like, try it out. Okay. It's a fun. It's a fun venue. I mean, it's not for everyone. <laughs> I wouldn't go I there digress. myself, but yeah. I mean, whatever. It's neither here nor there. It, you know, it's really subjective. I'm not a clubbing person anyway. Yeah. So Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, some Wednesdays, I'd be at the club. And then Monday through Saturday, I only had, oh, no, 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 sorry. Monday, no, I worked every weekend at the club. So yes, Saturday, Sunday, so basically Tuesday through Saturday, I would work at the store. I had one day off a week. And all you wanted to do was sleep, right? Like, well, I was just, I was tired. I mean, she worked a day job and then I would work nights a lot of the time. So, you know, she'd go to sleep early. She had a day job. So in that relationship, I remember like, I was just not there. I was never there. Yeah. And we were both very wounded people at that time. And it was just a very dysfunctional relationship. I mean, 
we're still friends. Like we can still have a conversation now. And we came to the conclusion that we're just so much better as like friends than as two people in a relationship. Mm-hmm. It's one thing, you know, told me in the story is the common thread I see when you tell me the story is just the dysfunction of relationships, whether they're romantic or, or friendships. It, there was also a lot in this story of you not really knowing who you are mm-hmm. and you know, who doesn't know who they are, especially at those younger years, but never having a, a constructive outlet to explore yourself. Yeah. I mean, I also feel like there were points where I had hope and my first two relationships were not as rocky as the last two. And I had, you know, four kind of long-term relationships that I, I would recall and go back to. And I think part of it is that when I realized there was this like glass ceiling, there was just a really big letdown that, you know, I wasn't capable of everything. I wasn't capable of, you know, taking over the world or like becoming like the general manager of a company. Uh, I realized that it's not that simple. And I also had a really bad car accident. Yeah, um, I, yeah, go, yeah. Go into that. So, you know, I was building some momentum. I was just out of my what's uh, age. Was this? This would be. Oh my goodness! No, that's got to be like ten years ago. Twenty-five, twenty-six. Mm-hmm. So I'm just that's out a of my fairly big thing in your life. Yeah. Um. So I just got out of my second relationship, and I'm pretty much. I'm starting to get momentum again and I'm really starting to feel comfortable with myself and where I'm at and where I'm going. And I was playing poker that night. I was really tired. I went to 7-Eleven to get my Hungry Man sub. And then I had to turn over two lanes at 33rd at night. And now there's a median there, amazingly. They don't let you make that turn. And I got T-boned. And I just remember, you know, airbag dust Mm -hmm. firefighters trying to drag me out and it was head injuries man it was really bad really really bad absolutely yeah so it i think what was the lasting impact of that like what did i it i think it changed who i was in what way i don't know if it was ptsd or like just a serious head injury but like i became a total snap show so like if things weren't going my way i would blow up and i don't know why that is but i know that it happened and i know that i even asked my girlfriend at the time ago did my personality change it's like yeah Mm -hmm. so it was was a really confusing time because i i just think that you know when you get momentum going and you've been through so so much and then you have a car accident (laughs) It's kind of like, you know, you're back home, you're doing physio, and you just don't know. You don't really know where you're at. So yep. it was, I was very lost, very, very lost, but I was also very, very angry. And I'm not sure where that came from, but it was there. It's a lot of things that one could understand listening to this, where anger comes, mm-hmm. a lot of anger Oh yeah, for sure. Came I mean, from. it's it's understandable, I guess. I mean, we never really talked about sadness in my family, so 
you know, I don't know if I ever spent time mourning what happened or, or just being sad about it or exploring that. So it's really hard to say. Mm -hmm. So kind of moving forward to this, uh, one thing I do realize is really hard to get a, someone's life story within like an hour or so of an oh, interview. Um, so coming closer to now mm -hmm. in the more current years, what are some significant things, you know, you've been a bouncer, you've become a personal trainer, you kind of a snap show and, you know, things are moving along. What are kind of the epiphanies in these later years that have come for you? Well, the biggest thing is, you know, going to my last say five years is a lot of time I spent not asking people for help and man that can like really hamstring you oh yeah in so many situations and make your life so hard and and not just even like not asking people for help but not even admitting that you have a problem was just super problematic so much so that a few, you know, a couple of years, not even, oh my God, it's so recent. Like even last year, I had so many issues with my relationships. I had so many ongoing problems that I literally decided finally, it took me 35 years to get therapy, to go ask for help, to admit that I had a problem. And part of that is really sad to me because it took so long. And when I started to understand the different interactions of different parts of myself and it just made everything so much clearer because relationships are so, so important. I mean, I could be an amazing trainer. Like I'm a great trainer. I believe I'm a great trainer. But if I don't have or take care of the people that are closest to me, what does that say about me? And that was where I, that's the place I had to go. Those are the questions I had to ask. And it was so constructive and so good for me. And I've been learning to listen to my intuition. And that's something that I don't know that everybody even thinks about, you know, like, well, what, what is this? What is that gut feeling telling you? You know, like a lot of us, we're just, I feel like sometimes we're a little bit numb. We're going through life. There's just so much stuff happening. We don't always listen to my gut. And recently, you know, listening to my gut is what got me into life coaching school. Because I realized that if I want to really help people, I need to be properly equipped. Now, last question. Sure. I want to ask. Everything that we've taught you've talked about in your story. Mm -hmm. What's something and you've made a lot of leaps and bounds in the mm -hmm. current years. What's something that you have done semi recently that when you look back at your entire life, you're like, I've made some real change. Like this is, progress like what's a highlight of progress that you've made in your oh own? my goodness it's gonna sound so small but it's so big it, it's i 
Oh my goodness. I have learned that being vulnerable or open with people that you care about as much as it sucks, as much as it hurts, as much as it feels makes you feel naked or vulnerable or all those things is also and as fearful as that is is also the key to your salvation. Mm-hmm. So if you're not willing to have difficult talks, if you're not willing to have the hard discussions I really believe that you're just going to be living a watered down version of what your life could look like. Mm -hmm. And that's been the biggest takeaway from the last five years of my life because I've had to have some difficult conversations. I've had to deal with my own shame. I've had to deal with my own guilt. You know, I've had, um, you know, a health issue that I had to deal with that really, challenged me in a lot of ways and I had to really face myself and in facing myself and being able to accept myself I'm able to present myself in a different way to other people so that was probably the biggest takeaway and you know the people that will be with you will be with you and the people that won't be with you won't and it's okay and to be okay with that was a really big thing for me awesome yeah that sounds like a perfect place to uh, let it go in let this podcast go. episode. Let it go. Okay, no. Da, 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 hey, you da, get to da, sing da, da. next episode. Let it go. So go. next episode, we're going to be going over my story. Mr. Vito Rizzo. We're going to see how Sebastian's interview technique is compared to mine. You know, I, I just wanted to like make one little comment. Yes. It's really interesting to think that we remember the things that hurt us so often. And, you know, my life definitely had some challenges, but in there, there was also some joy. And I feel like it's important for me to say that because there were times it was good. And, you know, it's not all doom and gloom and I'm a happy guy. Yes. So I just wanted to kind of send off like, I know we kind of get into like some darker parts, but... I mean, that's also part of life. And I want it. One thing with me is like, I'm really open about, you know, what I am and how I operate and struggles I've had. So thank you. If, uh, if, if any of you listening actually could relate to any of that stuff, then, uh, that's awesome. I think then that makes it worth it. Absolutely. I agree. Sign off. Yeah. Let's cool. do it. Uh, I am Vita Rizzo. I'm Sebastian Akil. Saying good night. Keep watching the skies. We'll be back <laughs> next time on Men's Junk. Thanks Sweet. for watching. Bye.